Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I am Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, today we have with us on the show Mukund Mohan. He is a uh, uh, director of uh, engineering and strategy at Microsoft. And uh, he is, I think he hails from, uh, is it, what, what city do you hail from? Bangalore, India. Yes, and you, 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 you love Bangalore. And you're always you telling love. people to go there and check it out and what an amazing place it is. Bangalore is, uh, I think I was telling you guys uh, this maybe a couple of times before or something. Bangalore is in some ways, uh, you know, a symbol of what happens when an old sleepy town suddenly gets a bunch of young people who say, we don't want to be a retirement community. We want to be an IT hub. <laughs> wow. So that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. That, that's really what it was like? So Bangalore, uh, very similar to, I think, uh, Paulo also was actually... Um, very nice place for people to go when they retired. It had a lot of greenery, a lot of parks, a lot of... Uh, the weather was brilliant because of a lot of parks and trees and everything else. So it would be constantly between uh, 65 and 75 throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And then I think, uh, as mo- as was most of these things, one or two people moved in and they said, we're going to start a software company here. I think it was Infosys and folks like those that started back in the day. And then now it is... I think close to about, at that time, the population of Bangalore 1990 was about 2 million, or less than that, actually a million and something. Today, it is um, between 9 and 10 million. Wow. In wow. Uh, 15 years. That's amazing. Well, I, uh, yeah, or that's more, totally actually, amazing. Close to 20 years. Are, are there any, I mean, there must be some other, I mean, we've gone through this great uh, thing, I think, well, in the U.S., and I don't know, I suppose there's other, other places too, but like people moving into cities, people concentrating. It's like this great movement toward urbanization. Like we have, uh, yeah, more people living in cities in America now than than uh, than not. And I think that that's a complete reversal of like the past. I don't know, Mike. Mike, have you read the stats on this? Yeah, I've, I haven't read the stats, but I've seen the the trend kind of uh, over over time. It seems like people, you know, this this concept of people moving into big high rise high rise buildings in the city and living close to work and not having to drive and just you know li- living without a car. I've I've heard the stories. It's um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, interesting. That, well, that must be what it's. I mean, Bangalore. You must have a ton of. I mean, it's, I mean, do, what's what does it feel like? Does it feel like Palo Alto, or does, like with a bunch of low buildings, or is, are there a bunch of towers around? Around. It's a mix. So Bangalore, for the longest time, when I grew up there in the in the eighties, used to be only low rises, and the Bangalore was. Uh, you know, there may be about three. We could literally name three high rise uh, buildings, and they were all office spaces, not apartments. And that's completely changed, especially in the last 10 years, I would say, more than the last 20 years, uh, where we have uh, mostly high-rises now. Downtown or the central business district is a bunch of 20, 25-story buildings, uh, which are also apartments, which is surprising because that's usually something that is done a little bit more up north in a city called Mumbai, which is a financial capital. There's actually a lack of space in uh, in Mumbai because they're surrounded by water. They're a seaside, uh, a seaside city, very similar to Seattle. So there isn't a lot of space in Bangalore to expand, Bombay to expand. Bangalore is actually flat and in the middle. You can go every direction, but turns out people like living in apartments and high rises apparently. Yeah. Well, that's fun. It's fun. I, it's fun to hear you uh, describe it because I just hadn't, I just, I need to go. I need to go and visit. 
No, it's a fun place. I, I think the amazing part is for people that have never been there before, you'd go, okay, uh, the traffic is, you know, I, I usually joke with my friends in Bangalore whenever I go back. If I leave home at 7, I get to work at 7, 7. If I leave home at 8, I get to work at 8, 8. And if I leave home at 9, I get to work at 9, 9 and so on. But it stops at, you know, 10. After that, it's still back to <laughs> 10, 7 or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Bangalore, you're never really sure when you'd get to work, whatever time you leave. It could be one hour, it could be two hours, it could be two and a half hours, it could be 15 minutes. Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Well, hey, we'd love to, Mike and I would love to talk to you about, I mean, you have some really interesting things to say about product. Uh, and so we'd love to talk to you about that. Tell us kind of what's what's going your, your, what are you thinking about, say, is like the most inter- interesting thing being developed in, in the software arena? So there are two, in, so I, um, just, as a, just as a background, I get a lot of inbound requests from companies that want to get me as an investor in an early stage, both on an individual basis and sometimes because of my background, try and connect them to, uh, I used to be in the part of Microsoft Ventures, and now I'm no longer a part of Microsoft Ventures, but I still have a lot of colleagues who work there. So they usually reach out to me and say, hey, we're doing X, we're doing Y, we'd love to be able to get engaged with Microsoft Ventures, or we'd love to have you as an early-stage angel investor in our company. And I've been doing as the individual angel investor thing for the last maybe 15, 20 years or so. The last one year, I think I was telling Mike this, chatbots... Uh, seem to be coming up a lot more. They seem to be one of the new ways that people are interfacing with, uh, with uh, you know, answering questions and asking questions as opposed to uh, using a UI on, an, on a mobile app. That's one. And then the second one is, you know, a lot of companies trying to apply machine learning to big data that exists in a lot of different places. Some of it is supervised learning uh, with machine learning. Some of it is deep learning with unsupervised learning, et cetera. But a lot of the, those two interesting themes seem to be coming up in a lot of conversations. Uh, and then the third one, not so much, but still seeing quite a bit of it, is uh, the area of using um, automation drones, uh, you know, combination of a little bit of robotics, but a lot of movement laterally and also um, uh, geospatially to be able to do things before that that you couldn't do by setting someone up. So those are the three big areas that I'm seeing a, a lot more interest inbound to me than before. Yeah, let's let's talk about those. Maybe we'll take them in order. Uh, let's talk about chatbots. So, um, what's your take on on chatbots? We hear like literally out of nowhere in the last six months, all of a sudden, chatbots are kind of the the hot thing that people are talking about for for whatever reason. Um, and uh, so, I mean, what do you think about that? Is that is that a real uh, phenomenon? Is that going to grow into something like legitimate, or will it just peter out? You know, I don't know the answer to the question, but let me ask you a question. Um, do you guys use these uh, these these messenger solutions like WhatsApp and Facebook and Line and and all of these a lot, uh, Skype and everything else to to do conversations and Slack and everything else, or is that relatively a small part of your of your use, whether it's for personal or if it is for uh, business? Yeah, I don't I don't use the the messaging apps much except for the iMessage on the phone. Uh, I, I've uh, I've Slack seems like an overload of information to me, and um, and I haven't used Line or, or those for for business purposes. Um, so yeah, not not a lot. Mostly just regular messages, and and in fact, you know, contrary to like probably a lot of younger people, mostly email um, as opposed to you know you know what I mean. I, I don't Mike, like I, text messages man. work you're for me, but so not like me. not a yeah. They don't they don't so work in the you? same way email does. Email ends up in a in a 
in a kind of a prioritized spot. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, Joe, what about you? Uh, yeah, I've used WhatsApp some and I've used Slack some, uh, um, but not Line or, um, or um, I forgot the other one you mentioned. Uh, Talk or uh, there are lots of them, right? Uh, right. So Facebook Messenger is one. So here's the interesting thing, Mike. The interesting thing is um, the people that send me email, I mean, email for me is so easy to handle because I know it. I can forward it. I can archive it. I can send it to people. I can add new people. All of that is easy to do. But my daughter never sends me email. She doesn't use the email on her phone. In fact, she's taken that icon on her iPhone and put it into a folder that says old. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty funny. That's, that's pretty funny. Indicative. That's that's yeah. a, maybe that's not a good sign. I mean, for me, email is like essential because I have lots of you know inbound requests from different people, and I just can't sort that stuff in text messages. If if I were to get all my inquiries from people about things they need from me or questions that they have, and, and they were all coming by text, I would just have no useful way of managing that in terms of like what's been responded to, what hasn't, what goes on the to do list, what what gets ignored. Um, I don't know. Maybe I just have a process built up in in the email client, but I can't do that in text. Text messages have a tendency to sit for a little while, or if, especially if they require some kind of a thoughtful response. It's just, it's, it's not a, not a practical way. Uh, it's great for short communications, but for things like requests for things or something, anything that requires any real thought, it seems like text messages break, break for me. What do, so you, what do you guys think? So McCunt, have you, have you seen any AI assisted, uh, you know, mailbox companies come through? I've seen a few, but I would largely ignore them because I think uh, my perspective on mailbox automation is every person has their thing the way they do it. Like Mike said, he's got a process built in. I'm pretty sure my process and his process are similar to a certain extent. But uh, what I've seen consistently is that people have it so... um, It's a creature of habit. So if I brush my teeth in the morning and then take a shower, some people take a shower and brush their teeth... (laughs) It's so hard to break that, man. It's it's just, uh, I'm like, your email, I've tried so hard to look at so many email. You know, I've looked at Boomerang. I've looked at a lot of different companies that do that. Uh, I've looked at Cybler, which takes your email, reads it, and puts it into task-based systems and tells you, okay, you have a presentation coming up in four weeks, so here's the time that I'm going to block on your calendar for you to finish that presentation and everything else. But they don't just seem to work. Uh, it's probably because it only works for very organized people. And most of us, I suspect, are not that organized that we want to be a robot. Yeah. 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 yeah I just, I guess I, I guess I, yeah, it doesn't relate to chatbots really. Although maybe it does. Um, I mean, if you had a intelligent mailbox that used a, a chatbot to sort of help you prioritize, it might, it might be helpful. Yeah, so I've seen four different categories uh, of, of, you know, I'm putting them in general categories. These aren't uh, scientific in any way, shape, or form. You get a lot of people. So you have uh, most of the companies that come in and say, we support Facebook Messenger, we support WhatsApp, we will support Line, we will support WeChat. And of course, there are a whole host of them uh, that follow after that. Snapchat, not much in terms of support. So you'll have companies that do consumer-related conversation platforms, people that do uh, business-related conversation platforms. So consumer one might be, for example, the three consistent themes I've seen is something that helps you with hotel reservations or answers, quick questions you have, 
For example, the use case that you'll hear very frequently is, hey, I'm trying to go to this place, uh, this restaurant, I want to know if they, they have this kind of food, or uh, I want to know if they're open at this time, or I want to know if the line is long or short or something. Um, the second one I've seen, the, the theme that I've seen is with uh, travel. You know, you're trying to book travel, or you're trying to ask questions and figure out if the hotel that you're trying to go to has uh, a private view of the beach or can you get a room that is closer to the uh, pool or something like that, right? So I've seen those as well. So those are consumer-related, anything associated with travel questions, anything associated with questions for small businesses. And the third one that I've seen in the consumer area has been uh, a lot of people saying that uh, we'd love to use chatbots in the context of being able to do customer service. So T-Mobile and AT&T, you have a lot of questions. Maybe not a lot of questions. You have one or two questions. It's just a pain to get to the right person, wait on hold. Can you do that, right? So those are consumer-related chatbots. Uh, the business applications are fairly s different, but similar in some senses. One of them is, uh, you know, questions associated with expenses. Hey, I want to do my expenses. I have a question about that. Or I might have a question associated with, where do I find this person? Or who is this person that does this? Or... A uh, question that is in a document somewhere, but you don't have the time to be able to go through the entire document to find the right answer. Um, so, and, and then calendaring. Uh, can I ask a question of somebody and say, when is the best time to have a meeting with Joe? Or when can I schedule a meeting with Joe and Mike together? Things of that nature, right? And then there is chatbot developer platform. So to be able to build consumer-related chat conversation platforms or to build business-related ones, you need someone that can, or tools that can help a developer build these application platforms. So conversation platforms that help developers are the third category of companies that I've seen. And the last one is conversation uh, platform stores. So these are, for example, like an App Store or like an Android Play Store, you can go to a store and uh, I wouldn't say buy is the word, but essentially add new conversation platforms that allow you to be able to say, can you answer questions associated with X? Can you answer questions associated with Y? Uh, so it's a store kind of a concept that you would have where uh, people would go in and pick off a few uh, conversation uh, bots and they would help you address those questions. So those are the four categories of companies that I'm seeing in the chatbot area. Yeah, I'm not, so just to weigh in, and I've, I'm opinionated about chatbox bots. I, I, I don't get why they're, uh, where why they're the hot new thing? I think they've been around for a long time. I think that the AI component of it is interesting, and the machine learning side of it, where the chatbots maybe are getting better because of machine learning. But I just don't see, I, I, and you know, I could be totally proven wrong here, but I just don't see any of these chatbot companies becoming billion dollar companies and and becoming valuable to people in a meaningful way more than just you know. I mean, there are companies right now that handle the the behind the scenes routing of telephone calls for companies when you call customer service number and most people hate them. Uh, I don't know why people would be excited about communicating with a robot uh, more than they already do. Um, I mean, especially when, you know, their websites and um, I, I believe maybe like a mobile app, like ordering a pizza, for instance, I guess you can order a pizza with a mobile bot now where you, you like send a message and say, I want a pizza. I want it to be this size. Um, but I don't know if that's like dramatically better than just having the, the pizza app on your phone and being able to enter your, your order and hit send, at least there you, they can control the interface and, and you can make sure you got your order, right? Um, all this like back and forth where the, the text message comes back and says, are you sure, you know, please confirm that you want to order a pizza that looks like this. It just seems like a clunky way to communicate. 
Um, what do you think? Am I wrong? <laughs> tell, tell me, tell me I'm wrong. I, that is just my perspective as an old guy who, who, you know, uses email more than text messages. Am I, am I missing something? Well, okay. So, I mean, I, I personally think that what's the, the best sort of chat bots will, will, you know, will, will make your customer service experience better. And like, they won't, you won't necessarily It'll just improve the customer service experience. And so if you can do that, then... But do people care? Do, I mean, people care. Obviously, you want to have a better customer service experience. But is that pain point strong enough to be like, grow a company that's really valuable or that people care about? Like, why does... Well, I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, a slightly better customer service is is valuable. But is it really that valuable? So I'm... Um I'm not going to say I, 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 I'm not going to say you're wrong, but I'm going to say let me give you the alternative perspective, right? That doesn't mean that you're wrong. You Go ahead. I, I, from I'm your a, point of view. I'm not going to I, say I, that you're wrong because I don't think it is wrong or right. I think it is. Uh, so give you an example. Right now, I'll tell you my own pain point, and a lot of young people who are maybe younger than maybe 25, 30, um, the app discovery problem is a real problem. It's a real challenge. What I mean by that is if you go to the app store and you say, okay, I want, what do you really want to do when you get your phone out, Mike? You want to order a car that takes you from home to, let's say, the airport, right? Or you fly into San Francisco and you want to be able to take a, a get a car for you to go from the office to the airport or something like that. Uh, now, it turns out you download Uber and maybe the search pricing on Uber makes it so that it's very expensive for you. So you're like, ah, this doesn't work. Then you go say, okay, I've got to go download Lyft. Let's say Lyft doesn't have enough drivers. Then you then you go to the third taxi cab app. You're like, come on, how many apps do I need to download on my phone just to get a car right from here to there? What you really want to do is to say, I want a car, take me from here to there. I don't really care if it is Uber, if it is Lyft, if it is yellow cab, whatever, just take me there and make it at this price. So the discovery of these applications, and some of them you don't even know, is just a pain to be able to come up and then you click through three or four different uh, screens and you finally get to the app and then you click on it and you wait for the answer. Instead, if you're in your messenger and you say, give me a cab from X to Y, it figures out at the back end that your preferences are number one, Uber, number two, Lyft, number three, a black cab or something like that, right? Um, Chatbots actually solve that problem, um, number one. don't you have to have the chatbot installed that responds to taxis and things like that? And wouldn't the chatbot need to know what your Lyft? I mean, Lyft isn't going to send you a car without an account, right? So somebody at some point you have to create an account with Lyft, and, and obviously that stuff can all change. But my thought process is that like, how are these how are these um, chatbots different than apps in terms of discovery? Are they that much easier to find? Or so you, um, instead of saying instead of saying open Lyft go to Lyft, then open Uber, go to Uber. Now, let me address two questions you had. Do I need to have an account on Lyft? Absolutely. But remember that Lyft is integrating with Facebook Messenger. Lyft is going to integrate via APIs to WhatsApp and and so on and so forth, all the chat platforms. So what happens is you will need to set up an account with Lyft, no doubt about that. But that's not going to go away even if you want a car and you have to download the platform. Instead, now you have one interface that you're used to. I mean, you you mentioned that, and so did Joe. You're used to email. You're used to email as an interface. You don't want it to change. The younger people are used to, for example, Messenger as an interface. Who the hell wants to go learn the Lyft UI app, very different from the Uber UI app, 
very different from the yellow cab UI app. They're like, oh, I don't want to learn these four things. I just know Messenger. Here's my question. Go get me a taxi. Make it go from here to there, and you're done. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's a good counter-argument. I, I think, you know, I'm open I to that. I can give you I, more, by the way. I can give you more arguments, my, that's one. Yeah, this is, for me, it's more just a gut. So, so I mean, that's good backup. Uh, the, one of the things I think, though, is, so let's say all that stuff is right, and that chatbots are a more efficient way for people to find for a solution people. for certain people. Um, in, in the example you gave, like, where's the chatbot company in that? Now, Line, I could see being more valuable because their platform now becomes the go-to place, almost like a Google search. If you can turn Messenger into a Google search, then those Messenger companies are extremely valuable because then they're they're controlling the, the entry point to the internet. But so, so Line gets more valuable. Uh, Lyft gets more valuable because they're easy to use and maybe they don't have to, you know, they, they solve their, their um, discovery problem. Where's, where does a company sit in there that's, you know, like, I don't see a chatbot company in there. You know what I mean? The there, there may be some technology or a product, but that one of the, those things uses, but where does the, where does the payment for the chatbot piece come in? And who, who's, you know, I'm trying to figure out what that opportunity even looks like. The ontology context and semantics associated with all of the possible things that you could do is fairly large and vast. Now, Lyft as a company, if its expertise, focus, and and uh, core strength is being able to get drivers and being able to get consumers in those cars which are driven by drivers and take you from point A to point B, then them learning the ontology associated with everything for a car is very hard to do. Uh, while they can hire one or two machine learning experts and start on that effort, uh, you know, they're better off having somebody that understands not only how to. So take an example of today, I start with you providing a simple chatbot that allows you to order a car from point A to point B. Tomorrow, I will extend that capability as a chatbot company, let's call it that, and extend that to ordering a table at a restaurant. Then I will help you order um, office supplies from stables. So you build that ontology uh, to be able to have a spectrum of questions and a spectrum of ordering capabilities done, that creates a, a very compelling argument for why one company whose sole focus expertise is being able to learn the ontology, learn the semantics, understand the parsing of the questions, understand that some questions could be asked one way or another and still could mean the same thing. Get me a car to go from here to the airport is the same as I need a car uh, I want to go to the airport, which is the best way to go, uh, and then determining that this is this is the right answer for you, or asking the question in a completely different way. I what see time I, is my, what time, yeah, sorry. Uh, no, I'm saying, I, I think I'm getting, I'm getting your argument. It, it makes sense now. If you're thinking of the chatbot as, if, if everybody has one, if they go into line and there's a, there's one company that you like, that is like your chat bot that you always communicate with, then I can kind of understand it where you say, okay, well, like if Siri had a, an interface or Siri is not a great example because I don't think Siri gives very good results, but maybe like Alexa, uh, Alexa on the Amazon Echo is, is getting better. Something where you, you say, okay, well, I'm, I like this particular service. So I'm going to tell them my credit card information and tell them my different account information for all the various things that I use. And then, and then whenever I need to send a chat message, it always goes to the same place. Um, and then, and they happen to be really, really good. I guess I could see that particularly because it, it fills that Google role where like if, if they're, if you're, if that's the first place people go to ask for something that gives that company a lot of power. Um, 
So I guess I could see that. I could see a Google type company growing out of it if they were really good. Um, and maybe maybe there is an opportunity there because if I remember when when Google came out as a search engine, it was very obvious that Google gave better results. Do you remember that? Uh, like yeah. there were there were lots of search engines and Google was like head and shoulders above the rest in terms of the results that it that it gave and everybody um, moved to it. I mean they they weren't the first. Um, I guess I could see the same thing happening with chatbot if there was a chatbot because the way chatbots work right work right now, yeah, and the same thing with any kind of like person digital assistant like Siri. They, they do like a demonstration where they they ask very specific questions and it looks super impressive. Um, and then as soon as you get it into the wild and you start asking questions that aren't on the aren't on the the um, you know the menu and you start getting shut down because the thing doesn't know how to respond, you get kind of uh, disillusioned with the uh, with the technology, right? Like so, and and you either stop using it or you power through it. But maybe when somebody finally creates a personal assistant that really does answer right most of the time. And, and the failure rate is low enough that people say, wow, this is so much better than Siri. Uh, maybe that's when they, you know, a Google competitor emerges. Well, so, so I, think the, yeah, go ahead, Joe. I was going to ask, I mean, so maybe that maybe this chatbot craze is just driven by, um, I mean, doesn't Microsoft have a product actually in China that like some sort of like, uh, some sort of like chat thing, like people chat to this thing on their phones. Did you, what's, so, that, what, what's that called? Yeah. <laughs> It's like hugely popular, it's right? Xiaowise. Isn't it just hugely popular? Is it, don't people like this experience? Yeah, Xiaowise is a um, now. The, the, when I say chat bot, there there are different aspects of it, right? Like I mentioned, it could be a consumer chat. This one, Xiaowise, is actually a consumer chat bot, primarily for personal uh, discussions. Uh, when I say that personal discussions, I mean it's a profile that answers questions. In some cases, I've heard of examples like the New York Times article was talking about how a lot of people who have substituted talking to a real person by talking to Xiaowise, some of them calling it their girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever the case might be. So in, in that case, that, that also has, has, been, has been a little bit different. But Xiaowise does have a few things it can do for you. Uh, but I want to answer one question that, or not answer the question, sorry, point that Mike made. The bar, Mike, doesn't have to be so high. I don't believe the bar has to be so high that it gets to the point where it's so much better than Siri. Quite honestly, right now, APIs are available where you can uh, transcribe what you and I are saying into text and get it almost 90%, 95%, 98%, 99% correct. That's the first part, which is translation and understanding linguistics. The second part is uh, language intelligence, which is what does that mean? The third part is taking what does it mean to actions. For example, if I say, I'm just speaking to you and say, Mike, can you order me a pizza? The first part is you understanding that the question was, Mike, can you order me a pizza? So there is a uh, translation and a linguistics company that takes what I said and converts it into text. The next part is there is another technology piece that takes what I said and then says, okay, this is what he said. This is what it means. He wants to be able to order pizza. You split that up into nouns and pronouns and verbs, etc. Uh, and then the third part is someone that actually says, okay, I got it. I can offer you a service that orders a pizza. Another company might say, I can do that too. And now there is a real-time bidding that happens very similar to what happens in the ad tech world. And one of them would say, I can do it for X, I can do it for Y, or I can do it better, I can do this location. It doesn't have to be only price. It could be by location. For example, I can order a pizza for you. 
but you've told me that the user is in Redmond versus Seattle. I can only do Redmond. I can't do Seattle or something like that. So then someone wins the bid, and that's the third part of it, which is the actual fulfillment of that specific request. So there is capabilities across all of these. The question is whether we'll see one company that does all of this or there are separate ones. And the bar, again, doesn't have to be that high. If the bar slowly gets better and better, it's very similar to, I would say, mobile applications in 2007 when the iPhone or 2006 when the iPhone came out, right? Which is the apps initially were pretty bad. Um, but in hindsight, they were bad. At that time, they were amazing because you could actually have them do simple things that previously you couldn't do on your on when you're on the go. You had to go back to your desk and do it. So it is possible that um, you could have apps that consistently get better and chat bots that get consistently better being able to do more and more things well, more so here, seamlessly. Yeah, so here's an example recently I've noticed on some of the apps I use, like you, like say OpenTable, I think I used the other day. And immediately when I immediately after I made my reservation, I, I got a bunch of questions about, about the, my prior experience, or maybe and and like there was, it was really easy to to give an indication that you wanted to answer, or just say no, skip, skip, skip. And I noticed Facebook did this the other day too when I like checked in somewhere, it wanted to confirm things about the location, like uh, it asked me some kind of wacky questions. But are those chatbots that are powering those those little, or what are what are those? How are those structured? So I don't think a lot of them are chatbots yet. Some of them are being able to ask proactive. So by the way, when, when you say chatbots, there's also automation. The first version of a lot of these chatbots was just automated, what we call to a large extent Q&A or knowledge systems. So chatbots and intelligence has gone through many versions uh, over the last maybe even 50 years. Initially, it was expert systems. I don't know if you remember that name. Then they became intelligence systems. Then they become agents. So they've gone through a lot of divisions. So some of these are mostly just uh, tree-based, binary, decision tree-based uh, questions that you would ask right. based on specific sets of needs. So you'd have a decision tree that says, if this, then that. If not this, then that. If that and this and this, then that, etc. Right. Um, so those are, those are version ones. The chatbots... Uh, I think the technology exists. The compute capability does exist now compared to even 10 years ago or even five years ago with cloud computing where it is fairly scalable. Those things didn't exist uh, you know, even five years ago. So they're getting there, but what you're asking for is more of an automated knowledge-based system with, with OpenTable. Yep, yeah, one thing to... To notice is, uh, you know, with Siri and the latest version of the operating system for, for the the iOS operating system that's coming out uh, in a couple months, they added some um, some they expanded Siri and opened up an API that allowed for certain types of requests to be made to Siri that would then be routed to apps, things like playing playing media, uh, starting an exercise session, um, I think ordering an Uber or or, some, or getting um, some kind of a ride share is one of them. So anybody that makes an app that solves one of those problems can then tap into those types of requests. And I, I guess the solution is they're going to, you know, I imagine slowly expand those types of requests. And then Apple handles all of the the parsing of the language and trying to d- derive the intent of the sentence. Um, and they the, the kind of interesting thing is they do that in in every language that they support, which is like you know, 60 different languages or something like that, which is something that would be very difficult for like a a small company to try to figure out how to do, you know, to be able to figure out, I want to order a pizza and then figure out all the ways people might say, I want to order a pizza in every language. Um, So what Apple's trying to do is strip away the the request thing. The user asks Siri for something and then, and then Siri delivers a, 
um, a request to your app because your app has been designated as being able to respond to certain things. And then your app kind of provides the smart re- response. Um, maybe that's, you know, that's kind of a hybrid approach where you've got a chat bot going, the ability to set that up a table through open, open uh, table, but it's still kind of app driven in the end. Um, yeah. I guess we'll be, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how, how, how these things evolve, which one of these models ends up surviving. Yeah, I think even if you look at uh, folks like Google now uh, and even Cortana and uh, a few of these others, they're starting to take the approach that we will provide you APIs that allows you to connect your service, uh, Uber as a service or uh, car rental as a service or uh, car provision as a service and make that available. So if you see Google now, if you're on Android, it's starting to get smarter and smarter with third-party things coming in, very similar to what Siri is trying to do. And Apple typically has taken a more cautious approach because they, uh, they, their perspective is that the privacy of the user and the data is very important to them. Uh, Google's perspective is more and more services associated with that solution is more important to them. Cortana's perspective probably is that we will make sure that we can get you as, as many of the answers quickly as possible. So I think these are all evolutions from, if you remember back when uh, Google started uh, Mike and Joe, you know, you probably still, uh, when you type in a small uh, keyword, you get a search results page that was a bunch of blue links. Uh, try and do that now. Uh, very rarely will you get a list of blue links. Most likely, for example, if you type something, for example, like uh, election 2016, you will get back on the results page, you know, the photographs of the contenders, you will get who the vice presidents are, you will get in the sense for when the election is, November 4th, they'll tell you most likely. So the results page is becoming more of a, here's what we think you need the answer to, as opposed to a bunch of blue links that you have to click and then go from there. Yeah, and in a way, that's kind of like a chatbot, right? I mean, it's, you're yeah, taking yes. an in- input query, right? Somebody's typing something into Google. They're, they have to figure out what's what the person is trying to get and then deliver it to them. I mean, so Google maybe, I mean, it seems like it'd be tough for a company to compete against Google and something like that because they've got so much data and so much, I don't know. I imagine people type a variety of different things into search boxes. Some people probably write out whole questions like conversationally, and some people are probably a little bit more skilled and use you know, specific keywords. Um, yeah, and, they probably and, see a little uh, everything. Yeah, and what Google and uh, Microsoft and all of these guys, Bing, uh, as part of Microsoft, is all trying to do is they're trying to get data sources. So it's it's very easy to compete with Google if you go in depth. It's hard to compete with Google if you're going to be a breadth player. What I mean by that is if you can answer a question um, at a very generic level, you can't compete with Google. But you can compete very effectively against Google if you are an expert in one particular area because Google wants your data and they want to index it. And a lot of companies are saying, I'm not sure I want to give you that index solution unless I get right. a pay to play. Right. So um, <laughs> you're sort of giving yeah. away the, uh, yeah, you're, it's like if, if your website serves up pictures of celebrities and Google is slowly starting to show pictures of celebrities to people when they search, instead of driving them to your site, it sort of makes you not want to partner with them very much. Exactly. Yeah. And also, for example, if you ask the question in, at Google, um, you know, Chinese restaurant near me, uh, one way to do is, is is to anticipate that, okay, you want to know which are the Chinese restaurants near you. Number two is you want to maybe book a reservation. Number three is you want to know when they're open. All of those are anticipatory questions that a chatbot can help address, right? But if you are a directory of Chinese restaurants, 
then you want to make sure that that result results in something coming to your website where you can do a reservation. What Google is saying is, no, 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 we don't want them to leave Google. We want you to give the answer. Here are the Chinese restaurants near you, but we also want you to be able to help them do the reservation. And that's where I think the answer to the question that you asked is, uh, where does this go? Who wins in this argument? Does Google say, no, you play by our rules? Or does the company say, no, we will let the company, we'll let the consumers find us and we'll still do well. For example, the whole discussion of Yelp versus uh, Google, right? Um, I don't think there's a winner in that argument and there's a loser in the argument. It's not as if Yelp didn't do well. They've gone public and they've done reasonably well. They continue to fight with Google and so on and so forth. But it's not as if Google has won that battle against uh, and Google has crushed Yelp. I mean, they're, they're doing fairly well and being fairly successful. Well, let's, I mean, I, I know I, I kind of want to talk a bit, a bit about machine learning and AI because uh, you mentioned that earlier. I, we don't have a ton of time, but we could, we could dive into it and, and try to go a little longer today or we could, uh, we could save it for another episode. What do you guys think? Well, what, but yeah, why don't we just touch on it for a few minutes and then, and then maybe come back next time. And uh, so for, the, for someone like me, I mean, you guys are both much more technical than I am. I mean, why don't you guys just tell me when you talk about machine learning, I mean, tell me what you're actually like thinking about in particular, I think I miss, I think I think you guys had me uh, had me a little out of depth on chatbots. I think you had more. Both of you had a more precise thought pattern about what what a chatbot was than I did. So tell me, tell me, machine learning the simple, the sort of the, the guide, the guide for the the new the newbie. So, so do you want to go? Uh, I, I'll give it a try. Uh, if if you if the chatbot was making you a little bit confused, the machine learning is going to make you very confused because it's a, it's a little it's a lot more of a. A black box in, in a way, but um, I guess the idea with with uh, the, the latest round of machine learning technology is that it's building. There's these technologies where you're trying to teach a, a, a computer to make a decision about something. There's various problems that the computer can try to solve. That in some cases they can be as good or or better than humans, and things like classification problems where there's a bunch of images or a bunch of uh, scenarios, uh, and and the computer's trying to classify them into groups. Uh, based on similarity, computers are very good at that. Um, predictions, where there's a bit of inputs, uh, and the computer needs to make a prediction about what's going to happen. Uh, that's another area that 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 machine learning can can, can do very well. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, solving uh, agent type problems where there's like a, an optimum way of solving a particular problem. Uh, computers can can kind of run through all the various scenarios and try to figure out what the optimum action to take based on a bunch of inputs is, and then um, and run that through like a you know a smart agent kind of a process. And so so we're looking at training computers to do those things uh, in a in a meaningful what in a meaningful way. Things like things like teaching a car to drive itself. Um, and lately, uh, I guess I don't know. Makun, tell me if if I'm wrong. I think it's the last five, maybe ten years. Um, this deep learning technique has emerged where they're using convolutional neural networks to to kind of yield much better results than they've had in the past. Um, and um, and this this deep learning process uh, it actually isn't a new technology. It's something that's been around for a while and was was un- unveiled in the '50s. But um, but apparently the the computer processing power just wasn't really strong enough back then for it to really yield good results. And then somewhere in the last five to 10 years, it's kind of had a resurgence and companies like Google have been making really, really amazing progress. Um, and so this deep learning, uh, convolutional neural networks, uh, are, are kind of driving a lot of the stuff that you're seeing now, like chatbots, for instance, the reason that they can understand what you're saying, 
uh, speech recognition and, and understanding what the intent is of a sentence is, is really all being driven by um, by programs on the computer that are becoming much more effective at, at deriving that kind of information. Um, and the way I guess I could go in, in deeper, uh, neural network is is actually doing a lot of very small computations where they're taking a set of inputs uh, into into this um, you know basically like almost like an artificial brain. You've got um, these these individual like kind of quote unquote neurons that are wired up to each other, and so you take a particular input, you wire it up to the inputs of these of these um, you know, virtual neurons, um, depending on whether and, and the neurons kind of adjust as the input comes in and the output is measured against the actual, uh, you know, the predictions are measured against the actuality and the, the various weights of these neurons change and shift over time to give you basically a model of how to solve this particular problem. Um, anyway, I, I'm now at this point, I'm probably rambling. Uh, maybe McCun can correct me in all the places I've, 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 uh, I've misstated things. McCun, what do you, what do you think? Was that a, and Joe, as somebody who doesn't uh, doesn't know as much about this stuff, did that make any sense at all? <laughs> <laughs> I think the first the, I got I, I followed you almost all the way through. I think I think I, I think I got a lot lost, a little lost at the end. McCun, what, what tell me tell me how do you augment what Mike said? Uh, no, I think he he kind of captured it the the two hundred one kind of a thing. The one hundred one version is um, essentially when you have a lot of data, it is a lot easier to find patterns in those data using trained algorithms to look for certain patterns and to learn new patterns, similar to the way uh, a human might learn. Uh, Humans take a lot longer to do that, but with the capability of the machine, uh, you can actually do it much faster. So machine learning and deep learning as a subset of machine learning or as an extension to machine learning, essentially is the ability to look at tons of data to be able to find patterns and computational capabilities and the use of data science associated with it uh, to a large extent. Now, when you have small amount of data, you can very easily show that in a spreadsheet. For example, if you have a data that shows here are the students in the class and here are their grades, now stack rank them, you can put it into a spreadsheet and a teacher can very quickly say, okay, here are the students that are doing well, here are the students that need help. Now, suddenly, if you wanted to add uh, data that says, here's what time those companies are, uh, I'm sorry, not company, here's what time those students come into the uh, school every day, and here's the time that they leave. So you have an extra field that says the time of their arrival and their time of their departure. And you say, let's do that over a month. Now, suddenly you have a month's worth of data of every student, the time that they came in, the time that they left and their grades, and you're trying to find patterns. And then you say, okay, that still may be possible to do in what we call a table format. In computer science, we call that a relational table format with columns and rows. And with the extra data that you have, now you have two sets of columns and rows, and you're trying to find correlations. Now, suddenly, uh, the principal came to you and said, hey, here's another thing. The students that ate lunch, I have that data as well based on them swiping a badge at the lunch counter, right? Uh, Here's more data to you uh, that says here are the students that ate lunch. And so now you have the student grade data, you have the student coming in and going out data, and you have the student eating lunch data. And then 
in the afternoon, the superintendent comes to you and says, hey, by the way, here's some data that says the uh, distance between the school and the student's home. This is another piece of data that I'm going to give you. Let's see if this makes any difference to their grades. You're like, oh my God, you're giving me like five different sets of data. Humanly, that's getting to the point of becoming challenging, correct? What machine learning does is it puts these data sets into different kinds of, uh, let's call them structures for right now. Uh, in machine learning, obviously, we give them different names. One of the names that people would, uh, would, one of the structures that you would use is a neural network, as opposed to previously it was a table. And you train and use different algorithms based on the kind of data that you have to find out correlations between, hey, if the student lives further away versus closer to the school, are they performing better? If the student eats lunch uh, more consistently than not, they perform better. If the student comes in earlier and leaves later, do they perform better? If the student comes in late, does earlier, and if they stay further away, do they perform better? You want to answer those kind of questions, correct? That's possible with machine learning. And deep learning is possible when you do not know exactly the structure of that data and you want to form the structure on the fly. And the machine says, based on what I've done, looking at this data, this is the best kind of structure and here's the best algorithm to analyze this. So that's the whole concept of machine learning and, and deep learning. Did I complicated or I think no, I think that works good I think I think we both it's such a it's such a complicated topic and there's so much base knowledge you kind of need as you're going into it before it starts to click um, so hopefully we've kind of covered it at, at multiple levels so p people with some understanding will have a place to go people with no understanding will have a place to to take it um, it's it's not the, it's not an easy thing to summarize particularly because it has so many different applications right I mean the 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 application you described is a lot more about sort of knowledge, get, get gaining knowledge from large amounts of data. And uh, often when I think about machine learning, I think about it in terms of, of um, trying to predict the, the best possible action based on us on a given state. Um, and so and, and those are both machine learning and they're both um, AI, uh, but but they they kind of, uh, you know, they're just totally different applications of it. And, it, and they're handled with different algorithms. Um, so there's the, the machine learning umbrella is pretty large. Absolutely, it is. It is. Hey, McCun, one last question, and then that's uh, and then that's uh, probably uh, save the rest for another show. But um, have you seen much in the blockchain development area? Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah. I, I have been hearing from a lot of companies that have reached out to me, but I am not an expert in blockchain by any stretch of imagination. So I don't think I get a lot. So the way to think about it is uh, the way I, I have understood it in my own way is that uh, when you have expertise in an area and you can add value, people will come out and reach out to you. Sure. I don't have a lot of expertise in blockchain. Gotcha. So I think a lot of people, I get one or two because they uh, kind of think that I can give them money regardless of whether uh, I know the space or not. But the good opportunities do not come unless they believe that they you can give them uh, uh, investment and also add some value. Uh, on the other hand, there's another person that I've been uh, talking to, working with very closely, associated with blockchain. There were three or four people, but two of these folks have been giving me more information about the kind of companies, the kind of opportunities that exist in blockchain. It is very similar to most other things. You can spend a lifetime uh, just learning about it, understanding it, and then figuring out what's your best thesis. But yeah, absolutely. This is uh, blockchain. I've heard a few, but I think the, that I'm getting a lot more chatbot related work. I'm getting a ton of machine learning applied to marketing, machine learning applied to 
uh, health sciences, machine learning applied to cancer treatment. I'm getting a lot of those right now. Right. Yeah, there was an article, and before, before we wrap up, there was an article posted like, um, I don't know, over the last week about uh, 23andMe, which is a company that, that was, uh, yeah. they they, um, they do, do genetic testing. You pay them 100 bucks, and they, they run a, a test on your genes, uh, they, your DNA. They, they kind of give you a report, but then they also keep that information, which is a great, you know, for machine learning, it's a great source of data. They're getting other people to pay them to to process this DNA data. But they, they recently... Um, found some kind of a, a link in the data between a particular gene and depression, which is a, a great example of like a machine learning type approach. It would just be really difficult to look through all the various, you know, uh, various uh, tiny pieces of DNA to try to figure out which part of the of the DNA strain across these people matches up. That's a common connection between people that are all have self-reported that they have depression. Um, it's it's pretty impressive, pretty pretty amazing. In terms of what it could do for for health science, right? Yeah, health science. That's exciting to think about. Hey, Amakun, thank you so much for being on the show. So, uh, you, you, one last comment, I guess, and then we'll check off. But you, so I guess, if folks want to get in touch with you, um, I mean, how how do they do that? Or if they if they if they think you might be able to help them, or what's the best way for people to reach out to you? The easiest way to reach out is uh, giving me uh, introduction to somebody I know. That's probably going to get you at least to me to be able to respond quicker. Uh, if they want to just uh, do a cold meeting, Twitter probably works best. Uh, I'm just Mukund on Twitter. But if you can if you can get someone who knows me to just send me an email saying, I've met this company or I know this company like you, Joe, or Mike, or anybody else, it makes it a little bit easier because then I would take it a little bit more seriously. I do get a ton, and I mean close to about seven or eight a day, uh, people that just reach out. I try to respond to most of them, uh, but the the number of inquiries tends to be a lot. So, right. you know, if it is referred, it's a lot more easy for me. Right. Okay. Well, that's good. That's really good to know. Thank you for, uh, thanks so much for being on the show. Absolutely, guys. It was a pleasure. Mike, great talking to you as well. Fantastic. It was great. Uh, well, thank you for being on and, uh, and everyone else. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week.